Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. Good morning again, and good morning to those uh, engaging online as well. Thank you for gathering, for engaging, for worshiping this Christmas Eve morning. It's such a wonderful time as we gather together and we declare peace and hope and joy and love. And yet, I don't know how your week has been, how your morning has been. Sometimes we don't feel that peace, joy, hope, love. Maybe peace especially can feel elusive. I remember Christmas 1994. It was one of those Sunday mornings that was also Christmas morning. And my family and I, we had to get to church. And we were told after church, then you can do the presents business, but we've got to get to church. And at this time, living in our house was my grandparents, my mom, her teenage two sisters, they were 14 and 17, and me. That makes six of us in this little house. And we had one bathroom, okay? There was no peace. I remember that morning just trying to get out the door and get on with it in our matching sweaters for some reason that were impossibly itchy. We were fighting over the mirror and just trying to get out the door. So I want you to know this morning, I'm proud of you for making it on this holiday, for engaging, even logging in online. It can be a challenge. Even for those of us navigating Christmas alone or separated from someone or some ones we love or have lost, perhaps we long for peace that comes when we connect with others. And this Christmas, the stillness is not a comfort, but a reminder of what we've lost. So for many of us, Christmas doesn't feel calm nor bright. We've been studying Isaiah, the prophet in the Hebrew Bible, in chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, where the prophet is sharing about this ideal king and gives us four names, four titles that go with this coming king. Isaiah is writing to the people of the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom is already falling at the hands of their enemies, the Assyrian. They're looking over their shoulders, concerned that they might be next. Their stable king has died, and they see the leaders they have now making questionable deals with enemies. They're concerned that they don't have a future. They watch their brothers and sisters to the north being killed and conquered. They fear the same is coming for them. There is not much peace around. And it is in this moment that we read the words of Isaiah, this ideal king and the promise that God gives to God's people. This is Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied 
exultation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder for the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors, all the garments rolled in blood, they'll be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders. And he's named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning, we're going to look at that fourth title in this series of names given by Isaiah, the Prince of Peace. We look for a Prince of Peace when it seems like peace is absent from our lives, our personal lives perhaps, our community, our world. This week, we watched more news of death from Gaza, including the killing of worshipers in a church. I listened to a father tell a journalist how his children, aged five and two, they still scream and cry when they hear airstrikes near them, but they no longer run to him, he said, as they seem to have realized that his parents cannot help them. I can't stop thinking about this interview. It's replayed in my head over and over again as I cared for my kids the same age as I tried to write a sermon about the Prince of Peace. How can we talk about peace? Have we ever known peace? Can we ever know peace? In the Alps, on the border of Austria and Italy, some tourists stumbled upon the frozen remains of a man who died about 3,000 years ago. He's nicknamed Otzi, and he's among the oldest human bodies ever discovered and clearly the best preserved. Scientists studied him, and they determined that this ancient Iceman was murdered. He was shot in the back with an arrow and beaten after he fell. Pastor Brian Zahn writes, I find it poignant and sadly appropriate that the oldest human corpse was not found resting in a peaceful grave with attendant signs of reverence, but sprawled upon a bleak mountainside with an arrow in his back. It's a distressing commentary on the origins of human civilization. It seems that human civilization is incapable of advancing without shooting brothers in the back. We live in a world of arrows in backs. And Isaiah says, a child is given to us who will rule in a new way. A future is proclaimed that will be full of peace. The scripture was written by people who knew what it meant to deal with challenge and oppression. They'd been trampled and afraid. It was written by people at the margins, crushed by empire and power and greed. And they responded to all of this by writing and worshiping. With prayer and poetry, they dared to dream about peace. <clears throat> what do they mean by peace? Peace in the Hebrew Bible is the word shalom. It implies well-being or harmony, unity, active reconciliation. Sometimes 
We talk about love being more than a feeling, but it's an action. Peace is similar. It's more than something we feel, but instead something we participate in. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peace feelers, but the peacemakers. This idea of shalom or peace is things being made right. Shalom is the way God intended the world. A world with no arrows in backs, literally, and the kinds that come from words or neglect or apathy. A professor of mine, Neil Plattinga, describes it like this. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness, of unity, of God's reconciliation, of needs met, of people doing what they were made to do, of relationships restored, God and humanity connected and reunited It's about not being afraid of governments, of enemies, of even death itself, because you know what God will do and what God is doing. It is people being what they were meant to be connected to God. Isaiah says there is a prince of peace. And that's what Isaiah means by peace, this active restoration. But but what, what does he mean by prince? You know, as Americans, we're not very comfortable with princes or royalty, right? When you hear the word prince, what do you think of? Perhaps you think about the latest season of The Crown on Netflix. Perhaps you think about Disney fairy tales. Perhaps you think about Purple Rain. I don't know what you think about when you think about prince. But the prince in the Hebrew Bible is used all kinds of times in all kinds of ways. And sometimes it means like a royal prince, yes, but it also can mean a captain, a ruler, a commander, a chief a military figure. I love what Isaiah is doing here to give us this image of a military leader who leads with peace. Flips the expectations of the whole community, this ruler who rules with peace. Isaiah wrote, and for Isaiah's hearers, this ideal king didn't come to power and push back the Assyrians. We don't find the peace we hope for bubbling up. Eventually, the southern kingdom will fall too. Isaiah describes this vision of a king, but it doesn't seem to happen. Yet as I learn about this vision of peace that Isaiah proclaims, I know that I want it. Despite our violent histories and tendencies, isn't it curious that all of us long for peace? That we grieve when we look at images of war. We hold our breath when we see another headline about a shooting or instance of abuse. We navigate a world where we see a lack of peace, where people can't get what they need. Housing, food, mental care. We see stories of incredible violence on the other side of the world. We see rising hatred Even now, our community connected to Downingtown deals with more despair and loss of young people because of despair. We long for peace, for wholeness, for things to be made right. We know that the world is not right. We should be uncomfortable with the way things are. It should make us itch like a bad Christmas sweater. Perhaps today you feel that within you. A call towards something more for a world where life has more flourishing, more dignity, more hope. I believe we can't move forward to peace till we know what we're missing. 
this desire for peace, for the world to be right, continued to agitate the people of Israel after Isaiah. When their kings failed, when they went into exile, even when they returned, and then what? The Greeks and the Romans would just come in and take the place of their occupiers. What peace. Perhaps they asked, like us, where is their peace? Hundreds of years after Isaiah's vision, an old man was walking to the temple. He had gotten ready that morning, just like you got ready for church, as was his normal practice. He likely had known Isaiah's vision of a future hope. Who knows how many times he read it. Perhaps he even prayed for it that morning. As he lived, he longed for peace. And he woke up one morning, his joints creaking, and he wondered, how much longer will I have to wait? He wondered, how much longer do I have? Like us, he longed for a world at peace. He had endured Roman occupation and years of waiting. His wrinkles testified more than to just the passage of time. But something nudged him that morning to head to the temple. Maybe a whisper. He thought it might be God. He listened and he went. And so we'll read the story in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 32 of this man. When the time came for purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So just after Jesus is born at Christmas, his parents take him to what we might think of as like a dedication to the temple. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. He's waiting for that peace. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for the revelation revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We meet Simeon. He's been waiting his whole life for shalom, looking for peace. A peace promised by God. And he hears that one day even he will see the rescuer, the Messiah, the one who will make the world right. And then he sees this sleep-deprived couple Traveling with birds. Can you imagine? Birds and a baby. He scoops Jesus into his arms, his wrinkled, time-worn hands, grasping the brand new child. Mary and Joseph have come to dedicate this child to God, and Simeon does it for them. And as the prophet Isaiah said before him, Simeon envisions this peace that this prince will bring. 
that here he has seen a light that is a revelation to the Gentile salvation for everybody. No division between God and God's people. Wholeness, restoration, shalom for all, for you, for me, Master, Prince. He says, you're dismissing your servant in peace. We wonder how to look for peace, what to do with our lives. How do we navigate this complicated world? Simeon, because he is hopeful and open, he just keeps moving towards peace. He keeps looking for peace. He's actively waiting and hoping. He's unsatisfied with the brokenness of the world, but he keeps on moving, keeps listening, keeps acting, and God uses him in a powerful way, even in his old age. He faithfully shows up, serves, prays, and God moves. Maybe you think God is done with you, but God wasn't done with Simeon. Maybe you aren't sure what you should do or how you should navigate this world, but Simeon just kept showing up. And then he's used to proclaim peace, peace for all, the webbing together of God, humans, all creation, injustice, fulfillment, and delight, all brought as one, hopefully with more than one bathroom. In our world, when people think about peace, when the powers of the world think about peace, they often think about using force to subdue the enemy. But Jesus gives this new vision. We often think peace is getting our own way so that we're comfortable and fine. That we can just keep ourselves distracted with enough stuff or screens. Jesus' peace deals with stuff head-on instead. The Prince of Peace chose to enter into our story, the story of humanity in a time of occupation and pain and challenge. Jesus' peace comes from God being with us, absorbing our suffering on Himself in the cross. You see, the Prince of Peace, the Master of Peace, will go to whatever length necessary to end the gap between God and people, even if he has to bridge it with his own hands. As Meredith Miller writes, Christmas is not offering us a chance to escape the aches of life through piles of presents. Christmas is God saying, yes, this pain is too much. Yes, it is too sad. Yes, the ache is too great. Hang on. I'll come and carry it with you. I was moved and challenged yesterday as I watched a live stream from the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church of Bethlehem in Palestine. Artist Kelly Lattimore created an image for the service called Christ in the Rubble in conjunction with the service that was organized by Red Letter Christians. It's there. And the pastor, Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac, said this in his message, the majesty of the Incarnation, that is, Christ coming to live and be among us at Christmas. The majesty of the Incarnation lies in its solidarity with the marginalized. That this is the very same child who rose up from the midst of pain, destruction, darkness, and death to challenge empires, to speak truth to power, to deliver an everlasting victory over death and darkness. 
He says, God did not stay silent, but sent his word, and his word was Jesus, born among the occupied, the marginalized. He is in solidarity with us in our pain and our brokenness, and he shall be called Prince of Peace. And his authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace. And so we hope for a peace that is to come, but we still wonder where, how, why, can it be now? When do we see the peace? And yes, there will be eternal peace when all is made right, but even now peace can break in. Peace doesn't just stop with the Prince of Peace. Jesus said to His followers in John 14.21, as He was preparing them for His death and His resurrection and His departure, He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. So where is peace? It has been given to us. It has been given to the church, to Jesus' people to live and embody and raise our voices about, to build, to make, to seek, to pray for, to show up for. And I'll confess that often churches have not been safe or peaceful places, and we lament that. We repent from that. But we have been given peace from God. The same Spirit that's given to Simeon to show up is given to us. It is a gift. It is a gift given to us by the Prince of Peace Himself. A gift we receive, but we do not hoard. See, Jesus inaugurates a new vision of peace on earth that is coming and accessible right now through the Spirit and through the church. We have orders from this military leader of peace to be people of shalom, to imagine a better way to advocate and cause good trouble and to show up to be like the people of old who sing and pray and wrestle and wonder and just keep showing up. To dream about peace. To seek peace in our own lives and with others. To turn our lives to Jesus and invite Jesus to transform us. God has come to be with us. This week, Pastor Zach shared a passage with me from the late Rachel Held Evans, and I wanted to share it with you. She said, tensions around issues of injustice must not be avoided in the name of easy peace or cheap grace, but we must passionately engage until justice rolls down like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. She says, what I love about the Bible is that the story isn't over. There are still prophets in our midst, and there are still dragons and beasts. It might not look like it, but the resistance is winning, and the light is breaking through. Will you join in to the resistance? Will we remember as we light candles and sing songs and look towards our Savior, the baby born this day, that the story isn't over? But the Prince of Peace has come to bring peace in our lives and in the world and to give us peace. To invite us to be agents of peace, peacemakers in the world.
we come to this place this morning, perhaps you felt like Simeon felt, tired and worn out, wondering what's next, how long you can keep going. May all of us encounter the Messiah. God came to be with us. God came to be with you. And you are loved. And you are invited into a new way of living and a new way of being and a new way of knowing yourself. Love. Peacemaker. Child of God. Will you join in? Wrinkle, scarred, scared, beat down, afraid? Will we raise our voices in prayers and petitions, advocacy and care for those who long for peace? You don't have to look far. Will we carry the peace that we have been given? Will we go in peace and be the church in this world, knowing that God has come to carry us and carry the burdens with us? Will we cry out to our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace, knowing that whatever comes, whatever violence occurs, Whatever fears rise, the Messiah can help. Will we cry out with resistance? Will we ask our God to act? Let us pray. God, on this Christmas Eve morning, we think about you entering into our story. That you, O oh God, did not want to be God without us, but chose to be God with us. God, may you trouble us. May you challenge us. May you stretch us to imagine what that might mean for us. How we might respond to a love like that how we might be moved to act and respond. Whether we might commit our lives to follow You, whether we might listen and ask for You to move and guide us, whatever it is, God, help us to show up. Help us to be peacemaker, O Prince of peace, and we ask for you to bring peace to our world. Bring shalom to our communities. Bring peace to our hearts. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.